0: Welcome back to Wrong Sports, and you are listening to this right now exclusively on my Patreon or on my podcast channel because this was supposed to be a YouTube video, but I really couldn't get this passed through copyright and also due to the length of this story, it's it's really hard for me to make a video on this without it getting uh, hit by so many copyrights. So that's why I'm gonna make this an exclusive on my podcast and my Patreon. If you are listening to this right now, either on my Patreon or my podcast, make sure you follow each channel and also help out the channel please by going to my patreon patreon.com slash wrong sports help out the channel there so that I can do more exclusives like this and I will be dropping brand new YouTube videos as well so just so make sure you check out the channel there too because again this was gonna be a YouTube video but since the length of it and also because I didn't think I could get this passed through copyright I just solely made this into a podcast only so you might be hearing me making some references to what you would think would be in a video but yeah that's because because this entire podcast is basically the audio portion of a YouTube video that I was going to do. So just disregard anything me making a reference to link above because obviously you can't click on any link above. But anyway, thank you so much for checking this out exclusively on my Patreon and my podcast. And I will be putting more exclusives on my Patreon and my podcast in the future. So be on the lookout for that. And let's start with Discontinued the Story of Hofstra Football. And I have mentioned this a time or two on this channel and on my social media, but I am from New Jersey, right around the New York City area. I am a big New York City sports fan, and I do also root for any New Jersey college team since I went to college at a D3 school in New Jersey. So, so because of that, I have been a Rutgers football fan since the 1990s. And if you know Rutgers football, they weren't very good. And since they were the only FBS college football team in New Jersey, they get a lot of attention, good or bad. But there was a time in the 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s where another New York college football team was getting a lot of attention. And it was because they were winning and setting records. But even though there were a lot of really good things that would be with this team, this team would be discontinued. That team is the Hofstra University football team. But let's get into Hofstra because they are quite a new university compared to the others that I've gone over in this series. As Hofstra originated in 1935 as an extension of New York University under the name Nassau College, Hofstra Memorial of New York University, Hempstead Campus. Yes, that was what it was all. It would eventually break away to become an independent college as they were renamed Hofstra College in 1939 and gained university status in 1963. Hofstra would gain even more credibility when it started to add schools to their university and have a very good law and business school. And to go along with that, the school would also host presidential debates in 2008, 2012, and 2016, giving the university even more eyeballs. But while the college was changing and growing, they would also add an athletic department, as Hofstra would start their football program and sports program in 1937, just two years after they opened. The team was run by their athletic director at the time, Jack McDonald. As McDonald was a linebacker in college at NYU in the early 1930s, and because Hofstra was still under the NYU banner at this point, it makes sense that he would take over the athletic department at this new school. McDonald graduated from NYU in 1933, and then at 27 took over running this brand new sports program. He would be the football coach from 1937 to 1941, the school wouldn't play sports from 1942 to 1945 due to World War II, and that was unfortunate because the football team got pretty good towards the start of World War II, as they started with a losing record in 1937, which usually happens with brand new programs, but then had three straight winning seasons from 1939 to 1941. McDonald would leave the school in 1942 to help with the war effort, and another Jack, Jack Smith, would take over running the athletic department through 1945. Jack McDonald, though, would come back to coach football in 1946 and got Hofstra to have another winning record as they were 4-3. and three. At the end of that season, though, McDonald would step away from the football field and from coaching in general, as he would be the athletic director until 1948, before stepping away completely from Hofstra after that point. Now, I couldn't find any videos on McDonald and really can't find many photos on him, but he did have a winning record in football at Hofstra as he went 21-17-1 and also had winning records in baseball and basketball at Hofstra, so he started the athletic department on the winning track. His successor, Jack Smith, would fully take over the athletic director role in 1948 as he was the baseball coach at Hofstra since 1943, and he was doing a pretty good job at both of these positions. But with coaching and being athletic director, it seemed like he had some trouble as Hofstra went 5-3 in 1947 before he was athletic director, but then in 1948 and 1949 when he had both roles, he went 1-11-3 during those two years, so because of those losing records, he gave up coaching football he stayed as ad and baseball coach and would hire his replacement choice for football jack's choice was a good one as he hired howard howdy myers myers was a football and lacrosse coach at johns hopkins in baltimore and had winning records at the school in football but was more well known for his lacrosse coaching and knowledge. Myers would come to the Hofstra campus and like his predecessors, he would coach the football team and another sport, the newly founded lacrosse team. Myers would have two wins in his first season and after the season would become the athletic director of the school. That seems to be the job that Hofstra gave to a lot of their coaches at this time. And Myers becoming the athletic director kind of gave him a kick in the butt because this team actually got really good as they went on a four-year stretch of winning records with the best being in 1952 when the team went 8-1. and one. After a down year in 1955, he would go 31-7 and over the rest of the 1950s, Two seasons of note, though, first in 1956, which was a trying season for the team, as they had just 20 players on the team, and they got to as low as 16 players at one point. But they still managed to win, like a late-season win over their rival, Cortland State, where they had 16 healthy players in this game, which is just insane. And they would end the season with a 7-3 record. The best season during the 1950s, though, was their first undefeated season as they went 9-0 in 1959 and were ranked first in the East in passing, pass defense, and points allowed as they only gave up 44 points during those nine games. The undefeated season got them some recognition and was most needed as they would enter their next venture, a football conference in the 1960s. So Hofstra's conference affiliation is kind of weird, mostly due to their football team not being in a conference for some time and then being in one but not playing many of the teams. Example would be Hofstra in the 1960s, as they were now going to be in the Middle Athletic Conference. The MAC was one of the largest conferences at this point, as they had upwards of 30 members playing football, and you can check out more about it in the link above. But this meant that teams like Hofstra could schedule regional games a little easier, since they would be in this conference now. So they could schedule teams from the university division or the college division and play them. So they could play Rutgers if they wanted, they could play Temple, though they really didn't play them as often, but they could if they wanted to. The drawback though to this conference was that the university division was very competitive, while the college divisions, where Hofstra was, was not. And Hofstra only played a handful of these teams from the college division, their own division, and would instead play university schools, like I mentioned. This resulted in Hofstra being ineligible to win their division from 1960 to 1963. But even though they couldn't win their division, they were invited to their only bowl game in 1962. That bowl game was called the Cement Bowl. It was played only a few hours away in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and Hofstra played another MAC team in the Westchester Rams. The game was made by a local businessman who wanted to promote Eastern schools on a bigger stage. The bowl game was one of 15 sanctioned that year in all of the divisions of college football so it was very rare, unlike now. The only thing was this game was being played in Pennsylvania in December, so the game only drew 6,000 fans, not making much for either school, and Westchester would trounce Hofstra 46 to 12, so it wasn't their best bowl outing. And Hofstra was really good during the early 1960s because they were led on offense by John Schmidt, who was their center, who was a three-year starting offensive lineman and earned All-American honors in 1963. He played on Hofstra from 1961 to 1963, and he would be signed by the New York Jets in the AFL in 1964 and started an 11-year National Football League career that was highlighted by a Super Bowl championship in 1969. So he was the first Hofstra player to win a Super Bowl. But after Hofstra's bowl invite, they continued to play in the MAC, but not really play against any teams in their division. This would be fixed though when in 1964, they were moved to the university division to play teams that they were already playing, like Delaware, Temple, and Lafayette. But these games actually counted towards a conference title. And from 1960 to 1968, the team had only two losing records and won 53 games or an average of six wins throughout this decade. The bottom, though, would fall out, though, for this team towards the end of the decade as they went 5-5 and in 1968 before they went 0-10 to end the decade in 1969. After that point, Hofstra would leave the M.A.C. in football and the team would be independent for the 1970 and 1971 season. Because of being independent, this resulted in them playing different teams from different states instead of teams from New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, as they would travel to Michigan to play Northern Michigan, they played Maine, and they played Delaware State during this time. But going independent was only for a short stint of time, as they were in negotiations to enter a new New York conference. That would happen in 1972, as they started playing in the Metropolitan Intercollegiate Conference, which was a football-only conference, as they were in another conference in all sports, and I don't want to go over that. The conference was made to promote football in the New York area like it used to be at the start of the 1900s. And by the way, you can see that in my NYU discontinued video, and I'll put a link above for that. But in actuality, the conference was made to keep football going at these schools, since a lot of the private schools in New York were having trouble fielding and affording a football team. The conference also helped because they all had an agreement to not give scholarships out which would be something debated in the coming years, as the NCA would split into four divisions. But the conference was listed as a D3 conference, and it was predominantly a New York one, as it enabled Hofstra to play more regional teams like Wagner, CW Post, which is now known as Long Island, and Fordham, and to promote those New York rivalries. Howdy Myers was still with the team at this point too and he would lead the team to the new conference and they would have one of their best seasons in 1973 as they had a second place finish. After that they dropped to 1-9-1. And Myers, who just turned 65 during this season, was forced to retire after 25 years and a record of 141, 98, and 4, and leading this team through a lot of changes. He would also give up his AD and lacrosse coaching jobs as well at the end of the 1975 school season. Myers didn't retire though, as he would move on to Hampton, Sydney for three years to coach lacrosse and then would go back to Johns Hopkins in 1979 for one last football season, which he ended with a winning record. Unfortunately though, Myers would get diagnosed with cancer and had surgery for it at Johns Hopkins, which was given to him almost for free since he worked at the university for all those years. Unfortunately though, the surgery wouldn't go well, as he would have heart failure shortly after and would die. Howard Howdy Myers would have 15 winning records at Hofstra, one undefeated season, and navigated Hofstra football through their years of various divisions and conferences. After Myers, Hofstra would hire Bill Leet to be the new football coach. Leet was only 29 when he was hired, but was a defensive coordinator for several years under Myers, so he was known on campus. Along with the football coaching jobs, he was given the title of assistant athletic director. This meant that for a time, Hofstra wouldn't have their coach of two or more teams also be the athletic director, so it took some work off of his plate. Leet was also the baseball coach at Hofstra since the 1970s, so he was now coaching two teams and being the assistant athletic director, so it seemed like enough work for him at that point. His tenure as football coach started with a losing record, but by year three, they were 6-3, and three, and they were going to have another big change coming. That change was that the football team would go fully independent and leave the Metropolitan Conference. I couldn't find a clear reason for why they left, but the whole conference pretty much left when Hofstra did, as Hofstra's main rivals, CW Post, Fordham, and Wagner, would all go independent in 1978 and they would all play each other for the rest of the 1970s, so that conference was still kind of around. When the 1980s started, Hofstra would have their best season since the early 1970s, as they went 8-2 and scored close to 30 points per game. After this season, though, Leet would leave Hofstra and go on to be an athletic director at the University of New Haven at the age of 35, so quite a young age for him. Because of that, the school would have to go out and look for a new coach, and they would go offensively this time. Mickey Kwakowski. He was an offensive coordinator for the last four years at Southeastern Missouri State, where they had winning records, and his offense was predominantly the wing T formation, which was well-liked across college. Now, Kowalski was not a Hofstra alumni, as he went to Delaware University, who played Hofstra in the 1968-1969 season, so he knew a little bit about Hofstra. His offensive strategy didn't work immediately, though, as the team went 4-6 and in 1981, but then rebounded nicely to 6-4 in 1982. The team, though, really hit their stride the next two years, as in 1983, they started the season 10-0 and were invited to the D3 National Tournament for the first time. Along with that, Hofstra had a devastating ground game, as their running back, Bob McKenna, ran for 1,019 yards on 198 carries, making him only the second player in school history to reach 1,000 yards in a single season. But their first time in the D3 tournament didn't go that well, as they played Union College of New York and lost badly, 51-19. But that great season was only the appetizer for the 1984 season, as they had their best offensive performance and had an All-American this year, too. That All-American was their wide receiver, Milwaukee Walgemuth, who was the leading receiver for the last three years at Hofstra with 14 receiving touchdowns. And this year, Walgemuth would lead the team again with a single-season record of 60 passes caught for 927 yards while finding the end zone eight times. His play had Hofstra with their best offensive output, as they averaged 37 points per game and went 9-0 to start the season again. In their final game and with another spot in the D3 tournament on the line, they unfortunately fell short to their New York rival, St. John's but ended the season 9-1 and had their best two-year run. In 1989, the team would go 8-2 and get invited to the national title tournament again, only to lose in the first round again. But the four straight trips to the postseason were the longest for any coach at Hostra, and after that 1989 season, Mickey Kwakowski would leave to coach at Brown University but his offensive strategy didn't really work there as he went 7-33 and 33 in four seasons, pretty much the complete opposite of what he did at Hofstra. To follow up the success of the end of the 1980s, the university would hire their most famous and probably their best coach as they hired Joe Gardy to be their next head coach. And Guardy was a New Jersey high school head coach in the 1960s and won a state title there before becoming a college assistant and then latching on to the New York Jets, where he would be there from 1976 to 1985 in a few positions, but he would actually be the defensive coordinator and the assistant head coach from 1983 to 1985. And after that point, he would serve as an NFL assistant supervisor of officials from 1985 to 1990. So, Gardy was not only coming back to coaching after five years, but back to college coaching, which he hadn't done since 1973. But with the new coach and the new decade started, they seemed to finally turn the corner, as the 1990 Hofstra team was probably their best team and probably one of the best that year, too, across all of Division III. They would have four team returning starters coming back, two two year captains, as Larry Brady and Jim Scully were back and Scully would actually lead the defense with 11 sacks this season, but it was the offense that opened people's eyes to Hofstra nationwide. The offense would routinely run an offense with four wide receivers, and it showed in their first game versus Fordham, where they scored 35 points. The points kept coming as they went 10-0 on the year, scoring a blistering 47 points per game. They averaged 500 yards per game, with 340 yards passing per game. They would be invited to the D3 National Tournament for the fifth straight year, and they would finally win their first game that year too, and they would actually destroy in their first few games, as they destroyed Cortland State, their rival, and Trenton State, before getting to the semifinals. This was the furthest Hofstra has gotten in the tournament, and the closest they got to a national championship. In the semifinal game, they would play Lycoming, a team that they played routinely in the early 1960s when they were both in the MAC together. Lycoming was like Hofstra in that they were undefeated, but Hofstra was the clear favorite due to their offense and also being at home. The game wouldn't go Hofstra's way, as they threw three interceptions, they had under 50 yards rushing, and Lycoming would seal the game, picking Hofstra off late in the game to win 20-10 and ruin Hofstra's special season. Hofstra would end the season 12-1, their best record ever, and they would get some more big news coming. That news was that Hofstra would be moving up from D3 to D1 AA, or the FCS level. The transition process would take until 1993 and put them in the American East Conference starting in 1994 in all sports, and football would stay independent. The 1991 season would also have tons of scoring again as they started to play more D1AA opponents as they played six of them, winning five, and they probably would have been invited to the D1AA tournament if they weren't ineligible for it. The following season they played seven D1AA opponents but fell back a bit going 4-6 and six for their first losing season since 1985. But getting over that last season, the 1993 season would be Hofstra's first full-fledged Division I football season. The team would start to get that offensive mojo back, too, as they scored over 30 points per game. In 1993, the team went 6-3-1, and they were now on their way to showing off what they could be in Division I in the coming 1994 season. And that 1994 season was like 1990, except they would now be a full Division I AA team and eligible to make a run at the national title. They would have a dozen or so starters back this year, but none were more dangerous and would gain future fame like their wide receiver Wayne Kerbet. Kerbet was an undersized receiver that would be given the label of being too small to play wide receiver, and because of that wasn't heavily recruited. Bugardi, who grew up and coached 30 minutes or so from where Crebette grew up, recruited him to come to campus even though he wouldn't have a scholarship for him yet because Hofstra wasn't Division 1 when Crebette was recruited. Crebet would come to campus and would start playing in 1991 and would be an explosive member. That was because from 1991 to 1993, he had over 1,500 receiving yards and 15 touchdowns. And to start 1994, not only was Crebet on fire, but the team was on fire too, as they crushed Butler to start and after that followed up with a 20-point win over Bucknell before they played Fordham in what was their closest win. They were playing with their backup quarterback in the game as well, but Krabet would take over this game as he would have four touchdowns and led the team to a 30-20 win. They would follow up with more big wins over conference champions that season as they beat Patriot League champion Lafayette and the Yankee conference champion New Hampshire the next week. Hofstra hit its only speed bump as they were 7-0 and were playing Townsend State at home. It was the one day all year that the Hofstra aerial attack couldn't get going, but they still somehow managed 341 yards of total offense. Then they would have a go-ahead touchdown called back and would have to go for the win on fourth and goal at the five-yard line. And unfortunately, the pass would be incomplete and they would lose 24-21. That loss wouldn't ruin their season as they would crush Rhode Island the next week to be 8-1 when they would play Delaware. Delaware was a longtime rival of Hofstra as they played each other in the 1960s before Delaware moved up to D1AA. Delaware was 6-3 coming in with a tough schedule and looking for another win to bolster their playoff resume. Hofstra, meanwhile, could get a first D1AA playoff berth if they could win this game because it would be a huge mark on their resume this season. The game ended up being a shootout, with both teams combining for over 1,000 yards, as well as 82 points. And along with that, Wayne crebet caught 14 passes for 245 yards and 5 touchdowns, tying Jerry Rice's NCAA Division I AA record for receiving touchdowns in a game. However, even though it was exciting, it didn't find a winner, as it ended in a 41-41 tie and ruined any chance for any team to get to the national Title tournament. But Hofstra would finish with an 8 1 1 record, being ranked 22nd in the country, and had their first All American in safety, Brian Clark, who led the defense and the nation with nine interceptions that season. And along with that defensive All American, the team defense was spectacular as they finished second in the nation in rushing defense. Wayne Krebet, meanwhile, would end his college career with 150 receptions, 2,297 yards, and 31 touchdowns, and went on to have a pretty great NFL career and kept it local as he would play for the New York Jets for 11 seasons. Hofstra would keep building off the 1994 season with another spectacular 1995 season. They started with a 10-0 record again, but this time the defense showed how much better they were as they never gave up more than 15 points in any of those first 10 games. But in their final regular season game and with a playoff spot all but assured, they would stumble to Marshall, 30-28. The loss didn't seem all that bad since Marshall was considered the top team of D1AA that year and for the last decade or so. In the first D1AA tournament for Hofstra, they would face familiar foe Delaware and would have to face them on the road. The game wouldn't go like the 1994 contest, as Hofstra's offense couldn't get going at all, and they would lose 33-17. Hofstra's two losses were to playoff teams this year, and Marshall got to the final game. So even though Hofstra fell in their first-round game, as they tended to do in the D3 tournament, they showed that they were now another Northeast team to worry about. And to go along with the great players that I've been mentioning throughout this journey of Hofstra football, they had a few this year as they had their returning quarterback, Karan Brown, who was a threat to run and pass in his senior season as he had 977 yards rushing and 1,860 yards passing. So he almost had a 1,000-1,000 season, which is pretty cool. The unsung stars of the team are usually the linemen, and there was only one this year and the last four years that made the difference for Hofstra, and his name was Dave Fiore. Fiori was a four-year starter that started all but one game during his time at Hofstra, and he led the offensive line to produce a great rushing attack in the 1995 season as they ran for 261 yards per game, which was the third-best in school history. And he would end his college career with All-American honors, and he got signed by the San Francisco 49ers and played in the NFL for eight years. But after a great 1995 season, 1996 was a fallback year, as they went 5-6. But that was again getting them ready for another breakout season in 1997. They started with two close wins over Texas State and Boston University, and then they got to play UConn at home. Now Hofstra beat UConn earlier last year, but this year behind Skip Holtz, UConn outmatched them and won 35-31. The UConn loss would be a tough loss, but they would have to completely forget about that and do it quickly because they were going to play one of the best teams and probably one of the best teams all across college football. That was Youngstown State. Youngstown State were led by Jim Tressel, the future Ohio State coach, who already won three national titles in 1991, 1993, and 1994, and they were 3 0 to start this 1996 season. Hofstra had to travel to play them, too, and gave them a game as it was close most of the way, but Hofstra couldn't get a touchdown late, and they would lose 27-22. Hofstra was 2-2 now, but their defense was firing on all cylinders, and their offense was going to be putting up over 40 points per game over the last seven games, which would help them win those last seven games to be 9-2 and and get invited to the D1AA tournament. The tournament game put them up against Delaware again, who were ranked third in the nation and only lost to Villanova earlier in the season. And Nova was undefeated this season, so that shows just how good they... So that shows just how good those two teams were. Hofstra would have to go on the road again and got closer than they did two years earlier, but they fell in the first round again, losing 24-14. They ended their year 9-3 and and were led on offense by a name you might know, mostly because of Tom Brady. His name was Giovanni Carmazzi. And Carmazzi was a sophomore this season as he set records for passing attempts, passing completions, passing yards as he threw for 3,554 yards, passing touchdowns with 27, and completion percentage 71%. Meanwhile in defense, they were led by returning starter Lance Schulters. Who got All-American honors for the second straight year as he recorded a team-high 145 tackles and added four interceptions which led the team. He would get drafted in the fourth round and play in the NFL for 10 seasons and is now a defensive assistant on the LA Rams. And let's stick with defense for just a little bit because here's another top defensive player not only for 1997 but the previous two years who I didn't mention before who would turn out to be a future NFL coach in Raheem Morris. He played safety on Hofstra for the last three seasons and then would be an assistant at Hofstra in 1998 as well as 2000 and 2001. And let's get to 1998, because real quick, it wasn't a playoff year, even though Hofstra was 8-3, but they were showing once again that their run-and-shoot offense was top-tier, as Karmazi passed for 2,751 yards and 18 touchdown passes. But the real reason why this team lost a few games was because of their defense, as they gave up 27 points per game throughout the season, but over their last eight games, they gave up 34-plus points per game, making the offense do a lot more, resulting in two out of the three losses where the offense scored 30-plus points and the team still lost. But even though they didn't go to the playoffs in 1998, they still had a strong team that they were bringing a lot of those players back for 1999. One of those would be Giovanni Carmazzi, who would be coming back for his senior season. He would lead Hofstra to another 10-win regular season as they went 10-1, beating five top-25 ranked teams throughout that time. The team would routinely get big leads and then pull starters as they outscored opponents in the first quarter 106 to 10. So that's the reason why Carmazzi doesn't have really crazy stats. Example of this was seen versus Delaware State when they scored 44 points in the first half to win 58 to 14. And the 1999 season started pretty great for them, as they started versus UConn, and Hostra celebrated by beating them 56-14. It wasn't Karbazi's arm that led them to that many points, it was actually their rushing attack, as they rushed for over 250 yards, and their defensive back Robert Thomas returned a fumble and an interception for a touchdown to almost outscore UConn by himself. Karmazi would come through the rest of the season, though, especially in the game versus UMass, the defending national champions, as they beat them on the road and rolled up 518 yards of total offense on its way to win 27-14. They lost their top running back during that game, and then the injuries would start to accumulate as it would cause them to lose a midseason game to Richmond. The loss knocked them from the top three ranking as they went all the way down to number 10, but they didn't lose again for the rest of their season and capped it off with a win on the road in Tampa versus a fairly new program in the University of South Florida. Because of finishing in the top 10, they would be invited to the national title tournament as the number 3 ranked team to play Lehigh first, and they would do it at home. Lehigh did give them trouble though early in the game as they led 13-3, but then they didn't score again as Karmazi ran in one and threw in one before half to give them a 17-13 lead, and the final would be 27-15. Their next game was versus Illinois State, who were the champs of the Gateway Conference, and lost two games. One of them was to Minnesota, so it doesn't really get counted against them. And their other loss was a one-point loss to USF. And along with that, Hofstra were also at home, so they were heavily favored in this game. Illinois State's offense, though, couldn't be stopped, and after Hofstra fumbled twice in the first quarter, they were down 24-7 at half. Karmazi did complete 80% of his passes with two touchdowns and 291 yards, but it wasn't enough for them to catch up. Plus, Karmazi would also be taken out with 11 minutes left in the game due to a knee injury, so everything wasn't working out for them, and they would lose 37-20. But this season was by far their best one since they got into Division 1, as they won 11 games for the second time in the decade and finally won a D1 AA playoff game. And the playoff loss to Illinois State would also be Giovanni Carmazzi's last game at Hofstra. And during his run there, he threw for over 9,000 yards, had 1,000 rushing yards with 32 rushing touchdowns, and a record over the last three years of 28-8. and eight. He would be more well-known, though, for being drafted in the third round of the NFL draft, one of the highest for a Hofstra player, and yes, it was before Tom Brady, but he didn't quite have the career of Tom Brady. Getting into the new millennium with Hofstra, and there would be some changes as they would undergo a nickname change from the Flying Dutchman to the Pride. Along with that, they would also be going into a new football conference in 2001 as they would be playing in the incredibly tough Atlantic 10. But more on that in just a little bit. This year was all about the crazy schedule they had as they started versus the top five team Montana on the road. This would be one of the furthest West trips that this team ever did. Montana were coming off of three straight playoff seasons, but in this game, the Hofstra defense stepped up, and after a late fumble, they drove to the 29-yard line and kicked a field goal to win 10-9. to They would then travel again a few weeks later to Portland, Oregon to play another top-five team in Portland State. The game was a shootout, with Hofstra falling 40-35, to but the traveling didn't stop, because then they would travel to california to play cal poly who they beat and then they had to go to another top five team in youngstown state falling to them in overtime due to this incredibly tough schedule hostra ended their season eight and three but they were ranked number 14 because of that really tough schedule They would make it to the playoffs again, but this time they were on the road versus nine and two Furman. The game would be back and forth throughout the third quarter and tied at 17. But then they got a touchdown to take a late lead 24 to 17. And a lucky break after a high snap, giving Hofstra the ball at the one-yard line to add to their lead, and they would eventually win 31-24. Due to the upset win, they would have to go on the road in the next round's game to Georgia Southern, who were the defending national champions, and had only lost two times this year, one to Georgia and the other to Furman. So you would think that that common opponent would lead to good things, but it didn't as Georgia Southern's rushing attack took over the game to give them the 48-20 win, ending Hofstra's season at 9-4, but they had their toughest schedule to date with seven ranked opponents, and most of them on the road too. And it looked even better as Georgia Southern went to the final and won the national title over another team that Hofstra faced and beat this season in Montana. So I mentioned how Hofstra would be in a new conference, and that would happen in 2001, as they would have to go to one of the best conferences in D1AA, the Atlantic 10. They would start the season with back-to-back Atlantic 10 games, too. First, it was versus Northeastern, and they would easily win and put up 40-plus points in that game. The next week they went on the road to rhode island who were coming off of a pretty bad 2000 season but they definitely turned it around in 2001 including beating hofstra in this game 35 to 26. after the loss though hofstra went on a seven game winning streak averaging over 35 points per game and were tied for first place in the atlantic 10. with one more conference game left they would have to play villanova on the road And Nova was coming into this game with only one conference loss too, so this game would solve a lot for the conference title situation. The game was a high-scoring and once again a shootout with over 80 points scored, but Hofstra couldn't score enough and took their second Atlantic 10 loss 54-34. to Hofstra would end their season with another big win over Liberty, and due to Villanova losing their last conference game, there was a four-way tie for the first place in the conference, and Hofstra was one of those four teams. Hofstra would also be one of the three co-champions to be invited to the playoff this year, and Hofstra would have a really tough game to start their playoff run, as they would have to go on the road to play Lehigh, who were undefeated this year. But even though Lehigh were undefeated, Hofstra were considered the favorite, and the game would be in Hofstra's control for most of it, as they led 24-17 into the fourth quarter. Lehigh would also be using a backup quarterback, but it ended up working for them as they went on a 92-yard drive to tie it up with under 20 seconds left and send it to overtime. Hofstra wouldn't be able to score, and Lehigh would kick the field goal to shock Hofstra without a playoff win for the first time in three years. But this year was a great one for Hofstra because they were co-champions of a conference that they just entered. Plus, they also had an All-American in Doug Shanahan, who posted 279 tackles and 13 interceptions all through his career at Hofstra, as well as being the first athlete on campus to be a two-time All-American in two sports, as he was an All-American in lacrosse in 2000 and 2001. On the offensive side of the ball, their quarterback Ian Rocky Butler would end his career with over 5,800 passing yards, and in this 2001 season, he had a school record 30 touchdown passes and 3,300 passing yards. His great play in 2001 also had Butler be a finalist for the Walter Payton Award, which is presented to the top FCS player. So those last five years had a lot of winning and a lot of good things happen to Hofstra as they had 46 wins and four playoff appearances, but the winning didn't continue after that as they went through a 6-6 and season in 2002 and then the bottom dropped out on this team in 2003 as they had a 2-10 and record. It was the worst under Guardy and the worst record this team had in over three decades. The team would improve though in 2004 with a 5-6 record and got them back to their high-scoring ways as they scored over 400 points that season. And even though they struggled to have winning records, they still had some big upsets as they beat a ranked UMass team in 2002 and their two wins in 2003 were over ranked Northeastern and Villanova. That also shows just how tough of a conference they were in at this point. The 2005 season would be a special one because it would be Joe Gardy's final season. They started the season 2-1 in out-of-conference play before they had to get into Atlantic 10 play. And this was where it got tough. It was basically a murderer's row at this point because they would first face James Madison who would crush them by 30-plus points. After that, they would beat Delaware and Maine, but would then lose to Richmond by six and then lose to New Hampshire by three. So with those two crushing losses, that would ruin their hopes of a division title, but they would finish strong with a six and four record and one game left as they would face number seven UMass at home. With a touching ceremony before the game, they would send off Guardy with an upset in front of 3,000 fans and end Hofstra's season at 8-4, their first winning season since 2001, and really give a nice send-off for Joe Guardy. This season, besides being known for Guardy's last season and for being a winning one, it also had two great players as All-Americans, as Willie Colon would get All-American honors that year and get drafted in the fourth round to have a 10-year-long NFL career. Their top wide receiver this season ended his five-year career at Hofstra. His name was Marquise Colston. You will probably know Marquise Colston due to his amazing career on the New Orleans Saints, and he started at Hofstra in 2001 and played as a freshman, only having 14 receptions and three touchdowns. In 2002, though, he would break out with 47 receptions and 614 yards along with three touchdowns. As a junior, he followed it up with 50 receptions and over 900 receiving yards with seven touchdowns. And 2004 was going to be his breakout senior season, but he would get injured early in the season and due to that would have to redshirt. He came back in his redshirt senior season in 2005 to put up career high in receptions with 70 and yards with 975, along with adding five touchdowns. And Marquise Colson would kind of have a career like Wayne Corbett, because he wasn't well known going into the draft, as he was drafted in the seventh round, but had an 11-year career and a Super Bowl title, adding to Hofstra's alumni with Super Bowl titles. After Joe Gardy retired, the school would have to hire a new coach for the first time in 16 years and only their fifth time since 1950. They ended up going with Dave Cohen, who was recently a defensive coordinator at Delaware and played locally at CW Post, one of Hofstra's biggest rivals in the 1970s and 80s. Cohen's first season in 2006 didn't go like the last decade or so, as the team couldn't score. They looked like the complete opposite of their last 15 years, as they only averaged 16 points in 2006, which was 14 points less per game than the previous year. The reason for the low scoring this year was because Cohen is a defensive guy, unlike Gardy was, so they weren't running a high-powered run-and-shoot offense. The team would get better in 2007 as they would be in the new Colonial Athletic Association Conference, which was basically the sequel to the Atlantic 10 Conference. The 2007 Hofstra team got better as they were seven and four, but this was after starting the year six and zero and averaging thirty points per game. But in their last five games, they lost that mojo completely, only winning one game, and their point total per game went down by ten points. The end of the season was tough, but they were back on the winning track. The 2008 season was thought to be a big year for Hofstra after the seven wins the previous year, but instead it was a wacky season full of streaks and bad losses. They started the season with two losses, then won two in a row before they got shut out by more than 40 points to the number one team in the nation, James Madison. After the loss, they finished the season two and five with a four game losing streak and another losing season. And Cohen was looking to put the team on the winning track in 2009. And it started well enough as they got two wins in a row before meeting Richmond, who were now this year's number one team in FCS and who had just beaten Delaware and Duke on the road to start the season. And yeah, this game didn't go well as Richmond wiped the floor with Hofstra, beating them 47 to nothing. Next week Hofstra played Western Michigan and got a good payday as they made it a game, taking an early 7-0 lead and then a 10-3 lead before Western Michigan didn't let Hofstra score again and came back to win 24-10. After that tough loss, they would get James Madison on the road and made up for the beating they got last year as they upset the number 7 James Madison team 24-17. That win was the last good one for this team, as they lost four of their last six by a combined 15 points. They were 4-6 and six going into their last home game versus UMass who were also having a losing season and this game would turn into a shootout with Hofstra coming out the winner 52-38. And that final win over UMass was a significant one. The 2,500 people in attendance didn't know this, but they would see not only the final season game for this team, but the final win for the season and the final win for this program as on December 3, 2009, the Board of Trustees for Hofstra voted to cut the football team. And it was mostly due to the last few years that were really bad for the university, as the team couldn't draw fans, even when students were given freebies. According to ESPN in 2009, the school only averaged 500 students attending the game, and that includes the cheerleaders and pep band. The school would also say that for the 2009 season, they sold 172 season tickets for the football team. That was compared to 750 for their basketball team. What was worse was that Hofstra has a student body of 12,500 students, but only 4,200 of them live on campus, making it harder for the students to come to home games, no matter if they were winning or not. The average attendance for the 2009 season was 4,260, But in a stadium that can comfortably sit 13,000, that's less than one-third. And this attendance issue wasn't just a problem the last few years. As you can tell from the videos of the games I have used, they weren't really drawing well in the early 90s when they were routinely winning. Bigger example is the 1999 season, with the national media watching their games because of Giovanni Carmazzi, the team had two playoff home games, and drew under 7,000 for both of those games. And the away teams did have some of their own fans attend these games too. And finally, another reason why I think they cut the football team was because they had to finally give it scholarships. They were in Division Three for all that time and then moved up to Division I in the 1990s. That's kind of tough for a team to move from giving out no scholarships or barely any to now having to give out 30 to 50 scholarships every year. The decision to cut the sport was harsh and quick for the alumni. As Raheem Morris said of the decision, it's a sad state of affairs. The head coach, Dave Cohen, was of course heartbroken, because as of 2022, this was his only head coaching job. But Cohen would still be able to find jobs after that, and he is currently the defensive line coach at Wake Forest. The school's decision to drop football enabled them to save $4.5 million per year that they were spending on football, and that was out of their total athletic budget, which was only $18 million. And they put that savings to good use as they set up a medical school. The Hofstra president would say, given that along with the low levels of interest, financial support and attendance among our students, our alumni and the community, the choice was painful, but clear. When Hofstra closed their program, they had a record of 403 wins, 268 losses, and 11 ties, with 42 winning seasons. Hofstra has one conference title, the Co-Championship in 2002, and they went to the D3 tournament six times and the D1AA tournament five times but their record was pretty dismal, as in the D3 tournament, they had a record of 2-6, and and in the D1AA tournament, they had a record of 2-5, and the two wins in D3 were all in the same year. But on top of that, Hofstra does have four Super Bowl title winners, as Willie Colon won his in 2009, and Marquise Colston won his the next year in 2010. If I had to pick the best team for Hofstra, it would be the 1990 season for me. But it's close with either that or the 1999 season, so either one you could really pick. Hofstra's athletic website actually put these two teams tied at number five for the greatest in all sports on campus. But I picked 1990 because they scored more points and were the closest they ever got to a national title. And thank you so much for checking out this exclusive podcast on my Patreon or on my podcast feed all about Discontinued, the story of Hofstra football. I will be putting up more exclusive podcasts in the future, so if you did like this, make sure you give my podcast a subscribe. And also, you can help out the channel as well by going to my Patreon, patreon.com slash wrongsports. And you can check out all my videos on my YouTube channel right now, youtube.com slash wrongsports, or just go to youtube.com and just search Wrong Sports. You can find all my videos. I will will also put a link to my video feed in the description of this podcast, and you can also check it out on my Patreon, too. I got links there. I got links everywhere because I want to make sure that you can check out all of my stuff. Thank you so much, though, for hanging out with me through this very long journey that we went through, going through every year of Hofstra football. Have a fantastic rest of your day, guys. And, And again, thank you so much for checking out this exclusive Wrong Sports story.